0: What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host Ken Milam and John Swan as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive.
1: And we're recording.
0: What are we doing on this one?
1: Well, today we are going to go through, and we're going to do some updates about um, the show, mm-hmm. and some shout-outs to our newest patron patrons on Patreon. Okay, pa 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 pa. This is where thank the you, thank uh, you. the plosive pop screen would stop the popping. Pu- <laughs> That's that's for you, Bo. That's uh, that's me picking on you and agreeing that you're probably correct, but I have not bought them yet. So, um, all right. So, yeah, uh, off and going. So, first and foremost, uh, my apologies to all of our newest Patreon members. We basically missed the entire month of September on giving shout outs because of all of the random changing of equipment and changing locations and trying to figure all the the new stuff out and all that hooey. So we want to kind of backtrack here and go and and give a huge shout out and a big thank you to our newest Patreon members, Um, starting with Luis, Luis J., thank you so much, and then J-G, J-A-Y, J-A-Y-G for the last name. Um, Thank you for joining. Samantha C., Kylie E., Brian S. and Daryl. Thank you all so much for joining us out there on Patreon. That is absolutely amazing. Thank you. Um, it, is, it is literally just amazing and wonderful, and we thank you guys all so much, and gals and girls and everybody. Um, since we have switched over to Podbean, we are now a Podbean podcast as opposed to a Spreaker podcast, mm-hmm. and since we switched over to Podbean, I, I kind of have to merge the data from up through August 30th with everything after September 1st, because that's when we made that switch. Mm -hmm. So some of our our newer stats and stuff kind of have to do math (laughs) and uh, put them together. But since we've switched over to Podbean, um, our most listened to platforms Mm -hmm. that people are consuming the podcast on is Spotify, number one. Apple Podcast number two. Mm -hmm. iHeart comes in at number three, but it is a huge jump from two to three. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it kind of trickles on down from there. To date, uh, or at least as of last night, whenever I pulled this, we are at 175,330 total listens for the life of the show. Uh, So not quite the 200,000 mark yet, but we are getting there slowly but surely. And then since we've switched platforms as well... Um, top five countries Mm -hmm. at the moment, the United States, number one, Mm -hmm. Australia is number two. Thank you. Canada is number three. Under down, under and up above, down under and up above. And then off to the side, we've got the United Mm -hmm. Kingdom. They're number four.
0: Yeah. They're over that, that that little island over yonder, way over yonder,
1: way over yonder, (laughs) over yonder. Um, and then Belgium rounds out our top five countries. If we turn around and go in and break up states and territories and provinces and things like that, for you, the uh, United States, the top five states are Texas. Woo-hoo. Imagine that! Shout out to our hometown, home Texas, state. home Texas state. is
0: playing right now. <laughs> they, they've just—they're in their second quarter. I, I showed up
1: today. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're playing TCU because it's Saturday. Yeah. And everybody listens to this on Monday. I know
0: everybody's sitting there. Well, we already know the score. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, see, that's another that's another advantage of that
1: time machine. We don't know what's going to happen, but they've already finished. Yep. <laughs> so, Texas is number 1, California comes in second, Illinois is the third state, Georgia is the fourth, and New York is the fifth for the top US states. Good gosh. Looking at the Australian states, Queensland comes in number 1. Victoria, number two, New South Wales is third position, followed by Western Australia and Southern Australia rounding out the top five. For our Canadian provinces out there, Ontario comes in first, followed by British Columbia, then Alberta, then Quebec, and Nova Scotia rounds out the top five there. Anybody got any
0: hunting places in Alberta and you want to get rid of an elk and a, and a couple of mule deer, let me know.
1: So just out of curiosity, mm-hmm. we have mule deer here in Texas. Mm-hmm. Why would you travel to Canada to hunt a mule Much deer? Much bigger. They're bigger?
0: Yeah, they're bigger body. Oh. Uh, and then I'd just like to have a mule deer from Canada. Okay, sure. But uh, but if since it's cold up there? It's like, you know, you make the big col- the colonies of huge colonies of bees and then you wrap them up with with uh insulation to live through the winter. Uh-huh. Well, they wrap themselves up with insulation. It's called fat. Well, those, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's how they stay warm. The the no, not not the people. The the uh <laughs> the mule deer and the elk.
1: I'm uh, I'm not going to say anything. No, no. I shouldn't have said that either. I had several comments go through my brain, but I'm just going to stop. So, real quick, before we dive into the meat of today's episode, I do want to take a moment to step back and just kind of remind everybody of the time of year that it actually is right now. So, we're coming into the second week of October, and that is going to mean that for those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, winter is quickly approaching, especially if you're in the United States and you are in the Northern part of the United States. Your days are numbered. I know that sounds bad, but it's actually true. So go out there, check your colonies, make sure that everybody is strong, make sure they are healthy, do any of the combinations that may need to be done on the weaker colonies and absolutely check your food stores. By now, you should know what you need for your area as far as the weight of the the hives and how much food they need stored up in there. And when we talk about food stores for this time of year, we are talking about capped food stores. So if you go out there and you look and you've got that minimum 50-50 ratio, of bees to cap food, then you're at least off to a good start, if not possibly okay. For the further north you go and the longer and stronger and deeper and colder your winters are, the more preparation you want to have in that. And, you know, again, the reminder on this is liquid feeding has to stop anytime the average temperatures drop below 60 degrees Fahrenheit during the day or colder. And this is the average temperature. So the way to do that is to take a look at the long range forecast and see kind of what it says. You know, if your temperatures are going to be 64 today and 68 tomorrow, and then 55 the day after that, but then it jumps back up to 67. And then maybe there's a 70 degree day. Well, your average temperatures are still technically above 60 degrees. You can continue feeding that liquid sugar. But If your forecast says more like it's 61 today and 55 tomorrow and 52 the next day, and then 58 the day after that, and then 60 the day after that, and then 53 the day after that, your average daytime temperatures are not 60 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. So you would want to be able to stop feeding the liquid preferably at least a week and a half, if not two weeks before that long stretch of cold hits because the bees need that time to go through, finish dehydrating down that liquid and get that into a state that it can be stored before it gets so cold that it's really, really hard for them to do that. And that extra moisture will then add extra condensation into the hive, which may not necessarily be wanted. So go out there and do your checks. Make sure that everything is good to go. If you haven't started feeding and you find that the bees do not have cap food stores, then you absolutely need to start feeding. And you're going to be feeding the two to one, at the minimum, two parts sugar to one part water. Um, you can get it closer to three to one even if you're in a desperate situation. But whatever you do when you're making this, do not cook or boil the sugar itself. You can boil the water, pour it into the sugar, stir it until it's all dissolved. That's perfectly fine, but do not cook the sugar on the stove. It creates really bad things called HMF or furfural, which is toxic to the bees, so do not cook your sugar. But get out there, get your bees fed, and contrary to everything else that you hear us say when it comes to winter feeding, you want to feed the bees as much as they can possibly take to get to that winter weight. So don't do the one quart every week. Give them two quarts, and as soon as they've drained them, give them two more, and just keep going until they either stop taking it, it gets too cold to continue feeding it, or they reach the winter weight that they need to be at. So as a recap for everybody or a refresher out there, you can go back to season one, pull up episode 32 for those of you that are in the southern states. That is winter prep for the southern states, episode 32. Then you can also, if you are up in some of the farther north areas, then you would want to actually go and take a look at episode number 28, which is the winter prep for the northern states. That will give you all a little bit more information in regards to what you should be doing and kind of help you get off on the right foot for that. So I just wanted to throw that in there real quick because today's episode is actually more along the lines of some listener questions and some fun little interactive things with some honey that we've got here that we're going to taste and uh, you know some listener feedback and things like that. So I did not want to necessarily overlook the time of year that it was, and I did want to make sure that we got that out there just first thing so that we could you know, just make sure everybody's on the same page. Make sure that you are aware of the time of year for you up there in the Northern hemisphere and in the Northern States and make sure that you are prepped and ready for winter. So again, go back, check out those episodes and those will help you. If you just need that little bit of a refresher, go back and listen to those again. Uh, Most everything in beekeeping, once you've learned those first year and a half of, of all the different tactics is basically wash, rinse and repeat. So the same thing you did last year to prep for winter is the same thing you're going to do this year to prep for winter, which will be the same thing you do next year and the year after that and the year after that. But again, you can go back and you can check out those two episodes to give you that in-depth refresher course that you may need for winter. So anyhow, enough of that. On with the fun stuff. So today we're, we're also going to go through and we are going to, well, we're going to taste some honey. Ken and I here, we have one thing of honey that was sent in by a listener and a fan, and we are so greatly appreciative Mm -hmm. of that. So we're going to taste some honey, and we're going to go through, there was a letter that was sent in with the honey, so we're going to read that, and then we've got some listener comments and listener questions and things that we're going to go through, and that is going to kind of wrap up our, uh, or encompass, I guess I should say, our episode for today. Then we
0: had our course on honey tasting
1: last monday yeah, yeah for the so, for the main segment so, so this is uh yeah. we, and we could do that i don't have the honey wheel with me um i could pull it up on my phone but yeah if you want to go through and and see if you can identify so what this is um this is coming from north carolina and this is sourwood honey and ken is just going to go right ahead and taste it he's well, not yeah. even waiting <laughs> Oh, uh, damn,
0: that's good. That is a mild honey.
1: This is from Jeffrey Ann. and uh, I'm going to use straw. I'm dropping things. Are you seriously trying to drink that? (laughs) I gave him a straw so that he could dip the straw in the honey and then, like, taste it off the end, and instead he sucks it up. (laughs) He uses the straw to drink the honey. (laughs) All right, so I'm just going to use my finger and dip it into my jar since you have the, the whole container here. So... I can't give that a damn (laughs) straw.
0: That is good, honey.
1: So sourwood is the type of honey from North Carolina. And it's from the Blue Ridge Mountains out there. It is, well, so the first first thing that I get, and I I get this a lot and it doesn't necessarily, but I get floral. Hmm? I get a very strong, pungent's not the right word, but a very strong, powerful floral taste to that. Me,
0: I get the want to have biscuits.
1: That's not, that's Man, a I desire, Ken.
0: That's not that's not a flavor. I need biscuits, biscuits and butter. Okay, no, that was good. It's very light. It is a floral. It uh, it's light. I mean that is a light honey. Is, is and I thought it was going to be. Is
1: it spring? Well, no. Um, I don't know the season, Uh, the, the sourwood trees bloom for a sum total of like, I think it's a week or might be, actually, I think she says inside her letter here. Um, so instead of me lying, we'll let Jeffrey Ann lie. (laughs) So the letter that accompanies this. So first off, this comes in a very fat envelope (laughs) and the front of the envelope says, Ken and John, please excuse the tiny envelope. Um, because they're the only ones I could find. Then on the back it says, and I didn't seal it because it's already in a box because the envelope was in the box with the honey. P.S., depending on whose sourwood honey you buy, it can be slightly different in flavor. Really, Um, And that probably would also be a, a, a side effect of what else is necessarily blooming and how... Prolific the sourwood in that region is because if you don't, with any type of varietal flower, if you put the colonies out there, you've got to have the drawn comb ready to go so that they immediately just go and fill it up. Um, there is a trash can back over there behind you if okay. you don't want to try to reinsert your I'm straw into it, the sleeve. I'm cutting get, <laughs> most of the honey out of it. Um, but so you, you put the hives out there and you put them out there right when the flow is going to start and you take them away as soon as it's done so that you know that it's truly just that varietal source, right? Mm. Well, if you don't do that and the, the flow stops, they're going to immediately switch to another floral source and start bringing in other things to adulterate mm. it. So that can change. Um, the seasons obviously will change the, mm. the qualities of stuff, but- so in addition to the the box of honey, which thank you very much, Jeffrey, Ann, for that, that is that is a wonderful surprise. She and present. sent a
0: medium box of honey. No, she sent this goofy. Oh, damn it! Yes. <laughs> I was oh, we get a whole bottle. She we get sent gallons. you. She sent you a box <laughs> that had you. a
1: container of honey thank in it.
0: You. I'm being mean. Sorry.
1: Yeah, he's being greedy is what he's being. Yeah. Um. So we went through and I divided this up. I I poured half of it into a jar for myself, and mm-hmm. he's going to take the other half in the bottle home. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we just went through and, and tasted. Now, unlike what the name suggests, even though it is the Sourwood Tree. It's not sour. The honey is not sour. Not it's it's very floral. And actually, it is very, as far as that floral, that that strong floral note. It's not a strong flavor at all. Well, no, no, but the floral, that, well, that floral, floral taste yeah, part of it. Yeah. As far as that goes, that's similar to Tupelo. How Tupelo has really? an extremely floral kind of flavor to it as well. So...
0: It doesn't have a back flavor either.
1: No, the back flavor is honey.
0: Yeah, like That's just it. just plain old honey.
1: Plain old honey. Yeah, no I mean, no specifics. It doesn't have
0: a, like uh, uh, she was talking about the metal taste yeah, or it the. It doesn't have that. Uh-uh.
1: It doesn't hit your back teeth or or the top of your mouth. It doesn't give you any like Mm-mm. physical reactions afterwards. Mm-mm. The heck.
0: AC just kicked on. The AC
1: did just kick on. <laughs> I guess we'll see if that. I can hear that in my headphones. I'm hear <laughs> it. Man, that's loud. It is. Um, I wonder if I. Hang on. Pause. Let me see if I can actually pause this. Okay, so um, I paused the recording here real quick, and I jumped up on top of a chair and tried to close the air vent because the AC just kicked on. Yep. And that sucker's powerful. Um no, I'm closing it several times. Closing it down actually made it louder. So now mm-hmm. we've got it fully open and um We may have I'm gonna be I'm gonna be shivering by the time we're done recording. I can already tell. <laughs> um but hopefully the uh, the recording doesn't pick up too much of it. No. We we shall see. Um <clears throat> anyhow that completely uh threw me for a loop on that. So anyhow, so um Jeffrey N included a letter, and I'm gonna go ahead and, and share that here with everybody. And uh, this room is very dark, so uh, bear with me as I try to read through this here. Ken and John, I hope that you are both doing well. I'm a certified Hive Jive junkie, and I have thoroughly enjoyed every minute of the podcast. Your podcast has taught me so much, and the blend of infotainment brightens my day every time. (laughs) Anytime I have ever asked a question, you guys have always answered, even if it is just a silly one. Whenever I'm having an awful day... The show always cheers me up. It has helped me through some difficult times, and for that, I can't thank you enough. That, combined with the fact that you actually care about all of us junkies out here, makes the two of you unique (laughs) in and of itself. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Y'all, and now she she switches to Texas Talk so we can understand her better, Mm -hmm. y'all have given me... (laughs) (laughs) A love and understanding of bees and pollinators that will hopefully carry on to my daughter. The joy and zen I experience from beekeeping is also innumerable. Nope, that says immeasurable. Again, it's dark in here, so (laughs) I apologize. The learning aspect coupled with the gentle care has helped me with my personal problems. I'm not sure if my family is helping to save the ladies or if these ladies are helping to save us. That's kind of a cool... uh, That is a good one. Yeah. I could go on and on about how much the the podcast and mentorship has helped me with my own path, but let's switch gears and I'm going to tell you a funny story. In retrospect, this was an awful idea. (laughs) I needed to go change the sugar syrup in the hive before the start of a string of consistent rain was to hit. Mm -hmm. My husband drove the truck and our daughter sat in the middle Halfway out to the bees, I realized that I had forgotten my smoker. Dun dun dun. That's uh that's a sound effect I need on here is like a we've got a wah wah wah, but we need like the the pensive dun dun dun. dun. <laughs> what is the heavy we don't need heavy breathing. <laughs> I, was, I was pumping the smoke. Oh. Well, but the smoker's missing. So okay, yeah, the dun 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 is the like uh oh kind of yep. you know uh we don't have an uh oh sound to track on here. Um Actually, let me turn this back up. What is this? Yeah, forgot uh, the smoker. That's that's the that, yeah that's the last. Don't laugh. get Let's See what is this one? Oh, yep. Nope. We can't congratulate you.
0: There you go. I'm not a bad one.
1: That's that's the closest we've got yeah. probably for forgetting the smoker. Um, yep. So enough playing with sound effects there. So anyhow. Um, so she gets out there, she realizes about halfway to the bees that she had forgotten her smoker. With the in- <laughs> with the inevitable setting of the sun, I realize that we have no time to turn around and go back. So I decide, well, it can't be that bad without those small little puffs of smoke. Little did I know I was in for an adventure. Hmm. Since it was evening, my husband and I decided that it was probably best for him and our daughter to remain in the truck, which is a good idea considering it's getting dark and you forgot your smoker.
0: They probably didn't have a, sm- a, a bee suit. Oh, them. no, no, she had the bee suit. But does that one for the... Oh, for, for, the, for the rest and, of them. The yeah, kid. probably
1: not. The That's daughter. also a very good point. Um, so they decided to stay in the truck. As I'm approaching the hive, I get about six feet away and they notice, apparently, no one told my bees about social distancing. Hmm. But... Seeing as how they are my bee children, the lack of communication was probably my fault. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, I am determined to give these sweet and sour women some good sugar syrup. I remove the latches on the roof, Mm -hmm. and I hear the song of their people. They go straight for my veil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then my gloves. I'm still determined at this point, so I just keep right on going. I undo the propylized top bars to reveal the old sugar syrup feeder. The song seems to be getting louder. I remove the feeder and I proceed to wipe it out. Then I realize I don't have any napkins to wipe it out. (laughs) At this point, I'm in too deep to turn around, so I go and grab a bunch of grass and I use it to clean out the inside of the feeder, Mm -hmm. all the while listening to the hum of the bees getting ever so slightly louder. I'm sure I just had more landing on me in reality, but that's what it seemed like. As I'm gently replacing the sugar syrup, Two ladies finally decided to take it upon themselves to tell me that they were finally annoyed enough to be worthy of their sacrifice. One after another, they stung me on my upper right thigh. This she is the didn't ex- have a full suit on. Apparently, just a jacket, yeah. 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 Uh, this is the exact same place that I have been stung every single time, literally, except for once. As I move away, my jeans away from my skin, I can see the stingers setting their burrowing deeper into the fabric. Still determined, I finish giving them the new food. I take off a couple more bars to check their progress, but decide that continuing is actually against my better judgment. I then put the roof back in place, only to find out that the bees hate the roof latch. (laughs) Apparently, they are now all over the roof latch, um, closest to the entrance. So... Deciding that they're going to win this round, I concede and decide to return to the truck. Typically, when I get about 10 to 15 feet away from the hive, all of the ladies give up and go home, but not this time. Being covered in bees, I got in the truck bed to ride in the back, <laughs> since how my daughter and husband um, are inside the truck. And she says, My daughter, who is only just a few weeks from being three years old at this point, looks back through the back window and says, Mommy, bees, sit down. <laughs> My husband then proceeds to drive down the path with me in the bed of the truck. However, the little women are so angry that they still are refusing to leave. When we get back to the house, they're still on me, despite the drive out to the bees and the drive back home. (laughs) My husband and I manage to get them off, and we decide to put them in my spearmint patch, which is still in full bloom. I do have to say, though, I'm getting used to being stung. It isn't really as painful anymore. Well, I hope that you enjoyed my story, and I'm sure that I'll have many more in the days to come. I look forward to y'all trying this amazing North Carolina honey. It's not my honey, but honey from the mountains of the North Carolina. Oh, that was my bad. <laughs> but it's honey from the mountains of North Carolina. It's sourwood honey which is gathered from bees pollinating the sourwood trees when they come into bloom for a few, I think maybe six or so weeks out of the year. So it's it's about a month apparently that the, mm-hmm. the trees bloom, which is better than Tupelo. Tupelo is literally like six days. It's a really? single week and that's it. It's very short, that's which is also- That's a dollar, honey. Yeah, I was going to say, that's also what makes the Tupelo so expensive. So um, unlike the name implies- It has more of a buttery taste to it to me and not a sour taste. I hope that you enjoy it. Maybe I can even convince Ken to make this one of his new favorite honeys. With the sincerest and best wishes,
0: Jeffrey Ann. Jeffrey Ann, uh, next time send biscuits and butter. And I want hot biscuits. (laughs) Oh, how the hell are you going to get them from South Carolina, from North Carolina here?
1: Just, uh, can't, you can't get enough, can you, can uh, no. I... Uh, somebody sends you free honey after all your begging mm. and pleading and now you want more. That's good. It is good, honey. Thank you, Jeffrey Ann. That yeah, was very, thank very you very appreciative. much. So I, uh, I have a story that I will share with you, Jeffrey Ann, so that you don't feel alone in your pickup truck riding. Um, hmm. in 2018, I moved my mother up here and uh, moved her in with us here at the house and she has she has been here ever since which is why you so often and so frequently hear me talk about my mom here and there but she had only been in town I don't know maybe a few weeks and uh, we got a call that there was a gentleman that had six abandoned hives in Langstroth boxes on his property. They were all mean as hell. There were actually 10 boxes out there, but only six of them had bees actively living in them. And he wanted us to come get them. And these were bees that were abandoned by a former commercial beekeeper here in central Texas who has a honey company that is still in operation but yet they abandon all of their hives. So make that uh, mental note about how and where their honey is coming from, because it's not coming from all the hives they abandoned. Not anymore. Um, so anyhow, that colony, those colonies, I guess mm-hmm. I should say, were all rotten. They they had holes everywhere in them. I spent fifteen or twenty minutes trying to put window screen and staples around all of the holes of one of these hives. Only to pick it up and realize that the bottom had rotted out, and as I picked it up, the the bottom board literally snaps, and all the bees come piling out of the bottom, and then up on me, and they're everywhere, and I got hung up in a freaking mesquite tree. One of the thorns went through the hood of my veil, and I, I got snagged, and I couldn't get out from under the tree, and I'm carrying this heavy box. I get over to the truck, and I set it down, and I go to pick it up to put it in the truck, and it snags my bee suit, and I can't get it up high enough because it's pulling on my suit to get it in the truck. And the higher I pull it, the higher it pulls my pant leg. So I start getting stung and I finally get it in the bed of the truck and I decide, screw this bleepity bleepity bleep stuff. And I go and I get in the removal box in the back of the truck, pull out a can of expanding spray foam. And I go to the other five colonies and I spray foam closed every single one of the rotted spots in the hives Mm -hmm. and then ratchet them all down eventually get them all loaded in the truck and you know, the bees are pissed and they're, they're all over me and everything. And I had to, I had a soap sprayer um, that we use when we do sometimes really, really bad removals. And so I pump it up and I just start spraying it in the air. So there's like soap bubbles and water misting down everywhere, Mm -hmm. which gets the bees off of me long enough that I can run and jump in the truck. And we drive them out to the removal yard, Mm -hmm. offload all of these bees. And I have to open all of them back up well, when you open up these colonies, it's basically like pulling the pin on a grenade. You you should just pull the pin and run. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got six of them that I've got to do. And so no matter what, I'm not going to get away from them. And as I rip the openings open by pulling the screen off, all of the pissed off bees come out and they just cover me. So much like Jeffrey Ann had to do, I had to climb in the back of the truck. That was the only choice. Mm-hmm. So I yell at my mom and I'm like, you're going to have to drive. Like, I can't get in. I'm covered in bees. And she's like, okay. So she jumps over in the driver's seat. We pull out of the the bee yard, close the gate and lock it, and I jump back in the truck and I hammer on the back of it and I was like, go. And so she takes off and she's hauling butt down the road. And yes, yeah, some of the bees are blowing off of me. But I still have, I still have a lot of bees on me. And so like, I'm shaking my bee suit, trying to get them loose and everything. And we went about a mile down the road and she starts slowing down and she stops. I'm like, what are you doing? I was like, keep going, keep going. And she just hammers it. And so we take off back down the road again by the time we had went five miles, I finally had all the bees off of me. And that was five miles at about 80 mile an hour (laughs) with me in the back of the truck, shaking my suit, trying to get all the damn bees off of me. Um, but we did finally, we made it down to the interstate and I was able to then get out of the back of the truck and get in the truck without bringing too many bees in there with her where she would get stung. But yeah, so I, I have on more than one occasion, experience the I'm gonna have to ride in the back because I'm covered in very angry bees and and I cannot get in the truck because I'm covered in very angry bees um I've, I've had to have Kevin do that one time actually as well um uh, which was was entertaining I uh yeah <laughs> it was it was a fun experience for sure mm-hmm. but th- that has happened that it does happen it does indeed um okay so <laughs> moving along do you have any commentary you want to add before I start on the next? link the email here
0: no i did the same thing we had we got had a the nuke five frame nuke that we changed to an eight frame and a 10 frame that was given to us and we put her put them in a new 10 frame and uh yeah when we put them in the back of the truck it was dark and they were all over us and yeah karen my wife was driving and we set them out and you had told us well go ahead and just pull the screen off once you let them out but they really didn't, they wasn't that bad. Yeah, mine were. <laughs> they wasn't that bad. So we just took off driving and had to stop at the gate and it was a the bees were gone. So
1: yeah, they, they were all you lucked good. out.
0: Yeah, they were good. So, but they were some mean damn bees well, as soon as it got daylight. <laughs> especially that five frame. That was one mean bunch of bees.
1: Well, they and, didn't seem that bad. Um, the only time that they got mad when I was out there was when we had to transfer them into the different box Eight frame, mm-hmm. and that one box was all like fused together and I had to yeah. shake them all out of there. Yeah. That was when you were over at the truck and you got stung and yet Max and I was right there yeah, at ground yeah, zero and they didn't bug us. I got stung. <laughs> yeah. That was uh not washing your suit and having pheromones in your truck. I guess. That was back in the day mm-hmm. before you learned. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So this next one comes from Daryl and Daryl is one of our new members there on Patreon. And Daryl says, hello, Ken and John. I live in Ontario, Canada, and I have to say that I am Ken's redneck brother from another mother up north. (laughs) My my
0: redneck brother from another mother. Up north. Up on
1: top. Up on top. So um, real quick as a little sidebar, Ken, I hate to tell you this, but apparently your dad got around a lot. Probably. Because, (laughs) and and, and even though you guys didn't get to move to Australia... um, he definitely apparently was down there because, apparently. you know, we have Brett down got there Brett who's down the, there. the original redneck brother from another mother mm-hmm. down under. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had several other individuals from Australia say I'm his other redneck brother. <laughs> and then now we've got one up in Canada. So uh your your daddy got around a lot, Ontario. apparently all these.
0: Ontario. Uh, <laughs> Ontario's kind of in the middle of Canada.
1: Uh, Ontario, Saskatchewan's no. <laughs> in the middle.
0: Ontario's to the north. That's just right above New York. Right? Marr. Ontario? Marr. Hello. What's the I have to tell me. I don't know. I'd have to look at a map. I don't have a map. <laughs> Just, I ain't got my phone either, so I can't look. So you didn't bring your phone? No, well, my phone's in the truck. Oh, good Lord. I didn't want to make noise in here.
1: Well, I appreciate that, especially with your new phone. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so he says, let's see, the redneck brother from another mother up north. I have been listening to your podcast for over a year now, and I wanted to say that you guys are fantastic. I have learned so much from listening to you guys. When I first thought about becoming a beekeeper, I thought, well, how hard could it be? Then yeah. I started <laughs> Then <laughs> I started listening to the show, and I wasn't actually sure that I would ever learn enough to be a beekeeper. After a couple of wobbly pops, beer, he puts, apparently, so they... The, wobbly Pops. The, the Canadians have funny terms for things just like the Australians do. Yeah. Wobbly Pops. After a mm-hmm. few Wobbly Pops beer, I convinced myself that I should just go ahead and do it. And armed with the information gained from your podcast, I took the plunge and ordered two nukes from a local reputable breeder. I received my two nukes in early June and transferred each nuke into their own 10-frame deep laying. I did cheat, much like Ken, and was able to supply the ladies with some already drawn comb. Since then, both hives have done fantastic. Good. Each of these nukes have grown into four deeps, two brood and two supers. Now, here's that twisted little thing of fate. They're up north where they have like absolutely insane nectar flows for a okay. very short yeah. time period. Yeah. And this is something that is is very true for those northern states where, yes, you can get a colony. You can even get a package and start off and still end up with multiple boxes by the end of the first wow. year because of how quickly the bees work up there. Um, So he says, uh, you know, they've grown into the four boxes, two broods and two supers, with pollen and nectar still flying into the hive at an astonishing rate. To ensure that they didn't run out of space, I removed nine frames of honey from the two hives and replaced them with empty frames to help reduce crowding. Please pass along to your listeners that the kitchen is not... The place to decap, drain, spin, and jar your honey, my wife, God bless her heart, was not a happy camper when she came home and found honey everywhere, not to mention wax in her pasta strainer and the kitchen sink. (laughs) You had an experience like that towards the beginning where your wife was like, don't you be using my pots and pans. Don't
0: use pots and pans to melt wax.
1: Yep. Um, So in my first year of beekeeping, I do have some questions. And uh, I'm going to skip over the questions here real quick, and we'll get to those in just a moment. But he finishes out by saying, to follow in Ken's footsteps, I set out a couple of swarm traps in early May, and I did end up capturing a swarm of bees in mid to late July, which is a little late in the summer mm-hmm. than I would have expected to catch a swarm. I split some resources off of my nukes, uh, my nuke-generated hives, a trick that always seems to be working for Ken, <laughs> and <laughs> shared them with the new hive. This was a nice little boost for them coming into the coming into a new home so late in the summer. The swarm of bees were a little shall I say feistier than my other two domestic mm. hives, mm. so mm. I had to relearn how to actually handle these girls just because they were Canadian bees did not mean that they would say "Sorry" after stinging you no. Nope. <laughs> My success as a first-year beekeeper is all thanks to information learned from the Hive Jive, which is why I have subscribed to the Hive Jive through Patreon. I would like to think that the majority of your listeners are much like myself, and they are the backyard homestead beekeepers. I like the recent couple of episodes where you guys have had the guests come on and talk about different approaches that they use to beekeeping. I particularly liked Dave Dorgy as his information was both quite humorous to listen to, as well as his misadventures. Cheers. Thank you much. Daryl S. from Canada. So here are Daryl's questions. Number one, when you talk about nukes, why do our standard nukes up here in Ontario only come with four frames where you guys talk about getting five frame nukes? The extra frame sure would seem to be a big boost in the spring When the colony needs it the most, especially in an area where we have short, such short seasons. You want to take a shot at that?
0: I'm going to say it's probably because they have the, uh, the, uh, things like I got, uh, the, the, they're two 10 frame. It's a 10 frame and they're built into two nuke boxes and they only hold four
1: frames. That could be potentially true. That the person the breeder, yeah um, so ultimately what it does come down to is the breeder. Yeah. and the the answer that I gave Daryl back is that our largest bee and queen producer and nuke seller here in central Texas mm-hmm. is the most expensive and sells you a five frame nuke box. Mm-hmm with four frames of bees and one empty feeder taking up the fifth frame spot. So when it comes right down to it, the reason you're only getting four instead of five is because you're getting gypped, Mm -hmm. and that's what the breeder is giving you. There is no other reason. Now, like you did say, though, Ken, um, if they are raising them in a 10-frame box that's been divided in half to share heat, Mm -hmm. that wall in the center does take up the space Mm -hmm. of a couple of frames, so you end up with basically an eight-frame box four on either side of the divider. And once they fill those up, they're they're that's it. They're done, right? Mm-hmm. But you can just as easily raise nukes in the actual nuke box mm-hmm. that is the corrugated plastic box or even the molded plastic boxes that are made for five frames. They're all made for five frames. So the reason you're getting four literally only has to do with your breeder. There is no other logic behind it. It's them being able to give you less resources from themselves and make more money. Then having to provide that extra frame of resources and, you know, valuable bees and assets. So, yeah, there's that. That's uh, that's one of them business answers as opposed to uh, any type of actual sound logic yeah. answers.
0: If they can chart you a frame of bees, then out of five frames, they can make no, out of five colonies that they're blending, mixing, are, are are splitting off them. They could split two or four frames, and they they're getting more bees there left. Or they could do five fr- five nukes out of four boxes, maybe. It's, I'm money. Not a, I'm it's not a money a, thing.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a money thing. It's I was going to say, thing. I'm not even about to try to follow the math on yeah, that one. <laughs> it's a money thing. Yep. All right, so his second question is, I will be leaving each colony for the winter with two deeps, each full of honey and brood, wow. wrapped in insulation and an insulated roof. I do not want to cause overcrowding or honey-bound issues in the remaining brood boxes by removing the bee space too early. I want to ensure that the queen has lots of room to lay her winter bee eggs before the ladies are ready to hunker down for the winter. When the, uh, We can actually get snow in October, so I don't also want to wait too late to winterize. What are some good signs that you are able to go ahead and remove the supers in the fall without causing chaos inside the hive? Well, so in all honesty on this one, it depends on everybody's region in your area. Um, for us, our fall flow goes all the way into sometimes the beginning or middle of November. Yeah, But what you really need to watch are the temperatures. When your average daytime temperature is at or below consistently 60 degrees Fahrenheit or less that's when you need to, everything needs to be shut down. That's when you're going to stop feeding all liquid feed. That's when you need to go ahead and put the insulation on the hives, wrap them up. If your daytime temperatures are still getting up, you know, 65, 70, 75 degrees, they're okay. But it's that, that average daytime temperature is kind of what we go by. Now, if you look at your long range forecast and you see that there's a cold front coming and it looks like your nighttime temperatures are going to get down to freezing multiple nights in a row, go ahead and put the insulation on them. Um, as far as removing the boxes, you can remove the boxes really at any time at, at your leisure. They are going to backfill the brood nest with the nectar, and they may end up only having a couple of frames or a couple of sections of comb that are open for them to go ahead and utilize for the winter cluster and kind of start going from there. So the timing on that, again, it, it bases on your temperatures, on your region, on the season, um, but it's not going to hurt them to go ahead and remove those and, and take them off. I've got several colonies that when we did the honey harvest, we took the boxes off and that was in August and we never put any boxes back on. Um, and they've been going through and, you know, kind of working and doing what they need to do. So, um, one of the answers that I gave somebody here recently was think about it like this. Bees in the wild in a tree don't have a beekeeper to come along and extend the volume of that tree to take away and or add anything to the colony. So if left to their own devices, they're going to do what they're going to do and normally they wouldn't have as much space as you've given them anyway. They would have like half that volume. So it is okay to go ahead and remove them especially if your temperatures are are getting down kind of cooler.
0: Now something I would be want, wondering and watching for too. Now, his bees have probably pretty much quit now. I don't know. I don't know what temperature is up there. That was a silent drone nobody can see for for pollen if they're still bringing in pollen.
1: Well, he did say in the in the email and I don't I want to say this was a week or two ago that this came in. Okay. Um, he did say in his email that they are still bringing in plenty of pollen and nectar. Okay. So they're they're still actively working and going. Yep. Now, one of the other things that I did tell him, though, is that from my experience in Saskatchewan, it's usually late October to early November when they finally wrap everything up, lock okay. it down for the winter. Okay. Um, but that does just depend on when that snow is coming and when things are happening. So you have to be vigilant and keep an eye on the weather because if you are going to get a snow in October— maybe you should go ahead and wrap them up sooner rather than later. You know, don't necessarily wait until after that snow to go through and do that. So it's all just being vigilant and knowing what's going to happen in in the nature and in the region around you to uh, compensate accordingly in time. Um, His last question is, when exactly does the queen lay these quote-unquote winter bees or the eggs? And how would I actually know when they have been laid? So this is all a trick of the season. And the bees themselves know this. You're, I, I. So my answer, my original answer was a complete smart aleck answer. I told him he needed to look for the fur line cells. <laughs> and he would know those were the winter bees yeah. being raised. Um, no, in all honesty, though, it's all about the season. And the bees know when, the. if you're in an area where the, there is a summer dearth, mm-hmm. it's when you come out of the summer dearth and the bees start bringing in the first bits of pollen mm-hmm. for the fall, That is immediately when they start raising their winter bees. And if you're in an area where you don't have a summered earth and everything just kind of continually goes, it's based on the days and the temperature. So Mm -hmm. as the sun starts setting earlier and earlier and the temperatures start getting cooler and cooler, the bees know that and they sense that long before we do. Kind of like a rooster sensing the sun coming up long before it actually breaks the horizon. They can sense these things better than us. And so they know... Winter is coming, we need to start preparing, and they will start raising fat winter bees. Now, the fat winter bees are the exact same bees as your summer bees with one difference, one little caveat. They feed that bee a much higher protein and nutrient-dense food in a lot larger quantity. Very much like how the queen bee is created by her diet and by the copious amounts of royal jelly and the lack of brood food, bee bread, pollen, and nectar they do the same concept to control a summer worker bee who is only going to live for a few weeks to Mm -hmm. a month or so and his sole purpose is to fly and work and forage Mm -hmm. versus a bee that is going to need to live for several months and is going to need to have more fat reserves and fat stores to overwinter and survive. So that switch in there is what actually causes that. And they will feed them these copious amounts of much richer food and that causes the body, the Mm -hmm. the fat bodies inside the bee to accumulate and have more fat reserves, which is a double-edged sword because those fat bodies is actually what the Varroa mite feeds on. And so a winter bee that has bigger fat bodies has more food stores for a Varroa mite as well. Um, so it's kind of a catch 22 on that regard, but yeah, so they have already started. They started that probably up there in your region. Oh yeah, They started that easily in uh, like mid August, um, early September at the latest and they have been raising winter bees this whole time, so it's a it's kind of like the concept of fall splits. Fall splits is a misnomer because they actually should be done in the summer, and you raise them throughout the fall. The winter bees are not raised in the winter, and they're not raised in the fall. They're raised at the tail end of summer and through the first part of the fall. So that is uh, that is that. That's a long story. They're,
0: they're half again as big as regular bees. They are
1: fat. They are visibly they are fatter big. than a regular worker they bee. Are yes. Big. They're not drone fat, but they are definitely fat. Okay. So our next one comes from Amy P. And Amy has a couple of different questions on here. She says, number one, why do we freeze cut comb honey, but we don't freeze regular honey? Go for it, Ken.
0: Cut comb honey, you don't want the wax to break down or get hot and start uh, getting soft and start breaking down. What the hell
1: are you doing? (laughs) I was trying to give you a visual clue. No. I was making creepy crawly little like bugs crawling. Oh, okay.
0: yeah, Okay. Keep the bugs from crawling.
1: That is the that is the number one thing actually is the bugs.
0: Um, oh, you mean, when, now, was she asking when we're putting it
1: up? Comb honey. Honey yeah. still in the honeycomb. Okay. Yeah. Versus, Keep bugs from, yeah. Yeah, 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 versus yeah. honey in a jar. Yeah, the same um, thing. yeah. And so what it all boils down to is the wax. It's all about the wax. Mm-hmm. So when you extract it, from the wax, the honey, as long as it's stored in an airtight container, is going to be self-preserving. Yep. But in the wax, it's not it's not the honey that is the problem, it is the wax that is the problem. Because when the bees are actively in the colony, they're constantly going through and they're cleaning off any microscopic eggs and larvae of hive beetles and wax moths. And when you remove the bees from the situation, they no longer can do that. If there was any leg eggs left behind or any get laid on it afterwards, mm-hmm. there are no bees to clean it up. And what'll what'll happen is Two or three days afterwards, suddenly there's going to be little maggots crawling around on that wax as those eggs hatch out. So if you were to do cut comb straight from your hive, put it in a plastic clamshell, give it to your friend, two days later your friend may call you and be like, why the hell are there maggots on this stuff that you gave me? This is gross. It's honey too. Eat them. (laughs) It's protein. (laughs) Um, So what you end up doing in that regard is you freeze the comb. Just like we freeze empty comb to store it, Mm -hmm. the freezing process kills those microscopic eggs Mm -hmm. and larva. And by doing that, then they can't hatch, grow, and foul up your honey harvest. Mm -hmm. So if you're keeping it in the comb, yes, you should freeze it for a minimum of two to three days. Then it can be stored airtight and set at room temperature and be fine. Or it can stay in the freezer until you're ready to take it out and use it. If you're extracting it from the comb and putting it into a jar, it just needs to be sealed airtight and you're good to go. Um, But that's why. That is the, the difference between that. The next question from Amy is, what do you use for varroa mites? I have one hive with a very high mite load, sad face. Would you use Apigard or Apivar? Well, Apivar is a synthetic pesticide chemical, so I would not use it. Apigard is thymol, and depending on the time of year and the temperatures, I may not use it. Um, Now, I mentioned on the bonus episode on the Patreon members last week that there was one little tidbit that I was going to add in here. And and this is where it comes back in. There was a post that came out on social media here recently in regards to treating hives. Mm -hmm. And in there was, there were two photos side by side in the photo on the left was a double deep stacked box Mm -hmm. with just prolific dead bees oozing out the front and also splotches all over the front of the hive that looked a lot like bee poop. Mm -hmm. And, on the other picture, on the right-hand side, was the Mitoway Quick Strips, which is the formic acid, which I do use very often. Mm-hmm. And you guys have heard me say numerous times, I have never had an issue using it. But I also follow every one of the directions yeah. to a
0: T. As long as it's cool.
1: Right. And here's the catch. And I, this is speculative because I don't know when this was posted because I saw it like twice removed from the original person. So I don't know where they were at. I don't know when they did it. But right around the time frame I saw it, we had just had two 90-degree days back-to-back. And if they put formic acid on their hive and the first two days it hit 90 degrees, you are absolutely going to kill every single bee in that colony Mm -hmm. because it's going to off-gas so fast it will kill them all. Mm -hmm. That could have occurred. The bee poop everywhere, though— could be a lot of different things. That could be nosema. That could be you know dysentery. It could be from them getting sick from the off gassing. Um, but if used properly, if you put that on a colony, number one, you need to give them extra space. So I'm assuming that the two boxes I saw in that picture were two boxes of frames and comb, and that was the colony, mm-hmm. which means there needed to have been a third box on top. That is completely empty, no so combs they can go whatsoever. A and get out, get away from it. That's right. You've got to have that extra ventilation space, the extra room for the bees to get away from the fumes, and it needs to have a top entrance. And you need to pull your bottom entrance all the way open. And if you've got a uh, vented, like bottom screen bottom, you need to open that all the way up. You need as much ventilation as possible if you're going to use this. If you do not follow all of these rules, you can and will absolutely kill your colony. Mm-hmm. Treating your colonies should never be taken lightly, ever, period, the end. As you heard on the Be Mindful episode with Natalie, you know, her and Les don't treat at all, period. No, nothing. No artificial stimulation, no artificial chemicals, no organic, quote unquote, chemicals, none of that kind of stuff. Um, if you are going to treat and your choices are Apigard or Apivar, use the Apigard. If it is going to be cooler temperatures and you can follow all the directions to a T, you can use the formic acid, but again, cautionary tale, if you don't, if you haphazardly do any of these things, like we did the Apigard one year and it was too hot and it screwed up the colonies, killed one of them, made one abscond and the other one, they didn't want to touch anything. So all of these can have side effects. And we've said it numerous times, look up Varroa management guide mm-hmm. from the Honeybee Health Coalition. Google that, Varroa Management Guide, Honey Bee Health Coalition. It walks you through every potential treatment, what the side effects of those treatments are, what the restraints and contingencies are for those treatments. All of it is in there. So that's the main thing. And back off that soapbox. Yep. All right. This one's coming. guard too. HopGuard too? HopGuard, I mean, that is one of them. And again... Varroa Management Guide will tell you how to use HopGuard. Mm-hmm. HopGuard's going to be a 28-day treatment, though. Okay. So And so is the ApeGuard, actually, technically. Um, all right. So our next question is coming from Southeast Texas.
0: Okay.
1: This one is from Jamie and Shannon, and they say, we've had bees, 15 or 20, like physical, actual bees, individual oh. bees. Not colonies, bees. We've had bees, 15 or 20, struggling on the ground about three foot from the hives. They're not exactly in front of the hive, but rather on the sides of the boxes. We have seen this most of the summer season. We thought initially that it was potentially pesticide poisoning, but I'm wondering if it could be something else like a disease. Upon inspection, the wings look fine, and overall, they look healthy, visually at least. Any thoughts or possible causes? Thank you very much for your feedback, Jamie and Shannon. Southeast. Southeast Texas. That
0: means probably... Going, they're going to have a lot of fire ants. Is that a
1: fire ant thing? No? Nah. Um, so what you're experiencing, if if you ever truly do run into a situation where your colony is poisoned, you're going to see a mass exodus where it almost looks like the hive throws up violently in front of itself. There oh, will yeah. be a massive spewing of bees spread out from the entrance as they all try to flee and leave, but then die in the process. And they're just going to be everywhere. They will also potentially be bees that are dead in the bottom of the hive, but that's a very, very quick acting thing. Usually the bees try to leave if the poison is inside the colony and they they come flying out and try to get away. So it kind of depends on how it happened and if it was in the food or if it was spray that got in there or whatever. Um, But that's what you see. Sometimes you will see things online where people say if their tongue is sticking out, that that's BS. That actually has I've seen bees that died because they were flying in a window and just exhausted and died, and their tongue's sticking out. I've seen bees that die of old age and their tongue is sticking out. So just because they got poisoned doesn't mean their tongue is going to stick out, or just because their tongue is sticking out doesn't mean they got poisoned. I guess I should say. Um, so that is that. Um, what it could be is Nosema can actually cause kind of a drunken stupor, deformed wing virus does not always represent as deformed wings. It depends on when the bee actually was infected with the virus and at what stage of development they were. The earlier the stage of development, they don't even survive. A little bit later into the larval development, before pupation, they'll have deformed wings. If it's already in pupation or as an adult bee, you'll never see the actual deformed wing, but it doesn't mean that the virus didn't affect the bee. They could have bloated internal organs. They could have blockages and other damages um, that can cause them to be sick. Now, anytime a bee gets sick and when a bee is reaching the end of its life, they purposefully leave the colony so as not to spread that potential disease to their sisters. It's one for all and all for one. So that one leaves for the betterment of all. And they will wander around aimlessly on the ground. Sometimes you'll see them looking like they're in a drunken stupor. Other times you'll see them moving very quickly, but they can't fly. They keep crawling up on things and trying to fly, and then they fall down and they run to something else and crawl up and try to fly. All of those can be signs of stress, fatigue, starvation, poisoning, disease. I mean, you name it, the air conditioner just came back on, um, you name it, it can be any of those types of things. So I would say that you're actually, especially since it's only 15 or 20 bees out of like, you know, Mm 30,000 or more, what you're seeing is the natural process of those bees doing what they would do in nature if they encountered something or had something that they felt, you know, could potentially affect the rest of the colony. So not actually anything to be concerned of unless you see hundreds upon hundreds all at once. Uh, dokie. Are you ready for this next one, sir? Might as well. Might as well. We're getting close. Two more pages. Uh, the next question comes from Blake, and Blake has some removal questions if we don't mind answering. He says, number one, when doing a removal, do you repair the structures um, once you're finished? And number two, do you make the client sign a contract before you start doing any work? So number one, As a general rule, we do not repair structures. Not repair people. That's right. Removal people. We We advise everybody that you need to either, one, do the repair yourself as the homeowner because you are authorized to do so as the owner of the home, or two, find a licensed contractor to do the repair. Now, we only strictly implement this on dwellings. So... Any living structure that has power, utilities, plumbing, things like that running into it is where we implement that clause and that rule. If it is a shed and we're removing the shed floor, I will happily put the shed floor back in place for you and screw it back down. I don't have a problem with that. But So again, it, it kind of depends on the situation, but that is the, the, the short and quick answer on that one. Do you make them sign a contract? This really depends on... A lot of factors. It depends on the location, the neighbors and neighborhood, the client themselves, the structure itself. There's a lot of things that can come into play. 50 to 75% of the time, no, I do not actually make anybody sign anything, Mm. but I do have a waiver that is customized for my business and I do have a contract that is customized for my business. And in the instances where I feel like it is absolutely needed to protect myself or protect the others around us, or release us from any liability because people are not going to listen and they're gonna be standing around being looky-loos and and be too close, then yes, I absolutely will make people sign things. So it's better to have them and not need them than need them and not have them. Um, Also, it's not part of your question, but we do carry a $2 million insurance policy as well. So a lot of that kind of goes back into it. If we are doing something with a commercial property or structure, we do actually have a contract that we put into place on those. So it all just kind of depends on the uh, the actual scenario. Ken keeps playing with his honey. There's not going to be any honey left in there by the time you go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so our next question comes from Kylie. And Kylie is also one of our new Patreon members. Kylie says, hello, love, 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 love the show. Especially enjoy the knowledge and the hilarious banter between Ken and John. <laughs> well, lucky well, there, Ken. Well, who the hell else is here? Ah, uh, well <laughs> sometimes oh, you never have, we, have, we, yeah, have, we do have guests. Every now and then there are random people that are just sitting in here watching us and we don't know where they came from, but no, I'm just playing. <laughs> and the ghosts. It yeah. is it is getting ready to that it's mm-hmm. It is getting around to that time of year, but we're not in the radio station, so we can't blame it on the ghosts in the station anymore. Mm-hmm. Um so Kylie says, I'm going into my first winter as a beekeeper with two hives that are both 10 frame langstroths. Each hive is composed of all medium boxes. This is key. Keep this in mind. And are currently four boxes tall and chuck full of bees and honey. I'm in central Iowa, and I've been told that three mediums is the recommended for overwintering. However, with the crazy weather that we've been experiencing, and me being a nervous newbie mama, I was wondering if I should let them keep all four mediums in the event that we have a nasty, cold, and prolonged winter. But I'm equally concerned that the extra volume above their heads um, that would be needed to heat and allow the heat to rise towards the roof would be lost from the cluster. I messed that whole sentence up, so I apologize. She's concerned of two things. One, would leaving the extra space cause all the heat and thermoregulation to go up above their heads and the bees would stay cold? Or would it be better to reduce it down? They have less food, but they would be able to thermoregulate the space better. Those are the two things back and forth. Um, She says, I do plan on installing quilt boxes above and wrapping the hives with insulation. And the apiary also has a very nice fence windbreak as well. So which is better? Extra food, but potentially more difficult to heat because of the larger volume or less food, but the recommended for our area and a smaller hive volume for the bees to thermoregulate easily. Again, love the show, just discovered Patreon, and I'm loving the Deeper Dive episodes and the extra content. Thank you so much, Kylie.
0: Okay, what do you think, Mr. Ken? I say leave them for, uh, for mediums because uh, up north, you know, a lot of them, they use the double deeps, two, two double deeps for their food. Here we use a deep and a medium to winter. Uh, and if uh, you have too much up there, you have too much food. Just get uh, harvested next
1: next go around. Dude, my butt hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Do I? These wooden chairs are, are oh, no, hard are on, hell the butt. on your butt. Oh, man, they're hard. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, Ken's talking, and I'm like sliding down out of my seat <laughs> and like kicking my feet up in the air. Um, so, okay, now you brought up a good point. Um, I am fidgety as I'll get out at the moment. Because your butt hurts. Because my butt hurts. And and anytime <laughs> we're in this rehearsal space, man, these people are some potheads. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, see, there we go. Gone. Um, huh. You brought up a good point, though. Double deeps. Yeah. Now, here's the thing that is not clarified, and I forgot to ask. In her area, they recommend three mediums, but really? they didn't state... If that was three medium supers on top of a deep, and I almost think that they insinuate or or assume everybody's going to start with a deep, yeah, and they're like, you need a deep and three mediums to survive winter. That's that's an assumption. Yeah,
0: uh, that's probably pretty. Now,
1: three mediums is the equivalent of a deep and a medium. Yeah, just so you know, and that's how I went through and explained this to Kylie is that technically. No deeps whatsoever. If all of your boxes are medium boxes, as hers are, three medium boxes is the same as a deep and a medium. So if you put an extra medium on top of there, you're actually right about the equivalent of two deeps. Mm-hmm. And two deeps is more than plenty to overwinter for all, most of the places. Now, when we were talking um, on Monday to Marina, Marina, mm-hmm. when we were talking to Marina on Monday, mm-hmm. she's in Connecticut. And she said 60 pounds is about the average of honey that they need for them up there. That's a little bit more than a medium, but a little bit less than a deep. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So, Iowa's probably very similar as far as it it might get a little bit more bitter cold because out there, you know, it's flat and barren and you don't have anything to stop the cold wind. um, And you do get lots of snow. Mm -hmm. So, I would say leaving it exactly how it is with the four mediums is perfectly fine. But what I did tell her, though... Wrap the hell out of them. Yeah, you're going to insulate them. That's going to help. They're going to be good. But what I did tell her, though, is you've got two hives. You're in the perfect setup to do an experiment. Mm -hmm. Take one hive and leave it exactly as it is. Take the other hive and take one medium off and either extract it for yourself, or if you're worried, freeze it and store it and keep it for later. Then wrap them up and see what happens. And go back out there and check them and check them like mid to late winter and see how they're doing on food stores on a
0: warm day
1: on a warm warm as warm as you can get anyway but if the one colony in the three boxes is already burning through their food stores and they're in the top box you could go ahead and add that other box back on if needed the other colony that's going to be just, you know, perfectly fine. But you can go through and you can see which colony overwinters better. Did they need as much food as was left? Which one thermoregulated better? Like, you can use it as an experiment. And she had responded back and actually said that she loved the idea of doing the experimentation. Um, she really likes that kind of approach to things. And so she's going to go through and try that. But, yeah, um, mediums and deeps and mixed up, everything like that, you, you can have conversion issues. But... Just keep in mind, two mediums is actually more volume than a single deep. So three Mm. mediums is the equivalent of a deep and a medium. Mm. Four mediums is the equivalent of two deeps. Mm. Actually, it's probably a little bit more.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But yeah, so in the long run, you're not over the top. Number of boxes-wise, it might seem out of character, but you have to keep in mind the size of those boxes. If they were eight-frame boxes, which these are ten, but if they were eight-frame boxes, you've technically got even less Mm. because there's less comb inside there. Mm. So... All right. Moving on. We have one final question. Okay. This one is coming from Mr. James Spooner in Georgia, and I'm going to say James's full name because this Mr. James Spooner was the winner of Show Me the Honey from the Dave Dorighi mm-hmm. interview and in the book and all of the misadventures that Dave went through on the honey. Um so this comes from James, and James says, "Hey John and Ken, the book Show Me the Honey by Dave Dorgie has arrived today. After I got the initial email from UPS stating that it was going to be arriving, I checked the tracking number dozens of times throughout the day to see if it had actually been delivered yet. <laughs> Apparently he's very excited. He says, I rarely, if ever, win anything in a drawing. I was so shocked when I got your message and I have played the video that you posted on Facebook for several of my friends and family. Honestly, I think the book is exactly what I need right now. A book about bees that is not dry and is not a textbook. Anyway, I wanted to tell you guys again how much I love the podcast and how much listening to you guys has helped me. And I'm sure dozens of other newbies out there, especially in the dumpster fire that we are calling 2020.
0: They <laughs> hit the
1: damn truth. <laughs> oh, and the hits just keep on coming, guys. We don't talk about politics, but ooh, man, talk about circling the drain, <laughs> this whole country. Um, a whole world. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, he says, yeah. I got started earlier this year, but wasn't able to take an in-person class. And I wasn't able to have a mentor that I could meet with in person. I am now up to six hives, diving in head first there, buddy. Um, hmm, and they're as as all, I yeah, no, exactly. I'm worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm up to six hives and they're all doing great. I told my friend who has two, go big or go home. Pretty much. (laughs) I also really appreciate the quick responses to the couple of emails that I have sent in asking questions this year. Some things just are not found in books and with no real mentor, because, you know, Facebook is the devil, Mm. getting those questions answered really means a lot. So thank you again, Sarah, so very much. Maybe one day if I ever get down to Texas, I can buy you guys a cold one. Thanks again, James. Well, thank you,
0: James. Let's see a co wobbly blue, wobbly, wobbly? wobbly pop, wobbly pop, wobbly pop. Yeah. Or right, and they see that down, down, down under. They buy you a quart. You ever seen those damn quart jars? Look, the, they're beer cans down here. It looks like a quart all can,
1: <laughs> all, 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 all can, A W L, all can, all can. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um I am cold. It's getting chilly in here. And and the, the bones of my butt are sore. And... Uh, oh, beats the honey still moving. I might be buzzed. <laughs> <laughs> that wobbly pop? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> Just from the fumes <laughs> that are floating down the hallways out here. Um Anyhow, so this is this has actually been quite the lengthy episode, but uh, a lot of good information in there, a lot of good comments, a lot of good content. Thank you, everybody, so much for sending <laughs> in your questions, sending in your feedback. We appreciate and love each and every single one of you, regardless if you are a patron or if you are just an average consumer who listens to the podcast every single week on Mondays. We thank you all. You're all amazing and wonderful. And um, yeah. 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 Oh, you want me to say something? Every time I start giving gratitude, you just sit there and look at me, and I'm like, well, come on, dude. Sounds good.
0: (laughs) Hey, family, y'all all all stay well, healthy. We got to take care of each other. And, uh, well, I won't get into politics, but anyway. No, just be good, everybody. Be Be good good and be safe. Be be healthy, be safe. Take care of each other. They like the bees. They all take care of each other. Hell, what'd you just say? If... Oh, no, I guess we shouldn't do it that way. <laughs> no, we can't do it that way. Okay, you're going to is m- My mic yeah. is running away. <laughs> we'll see y'all later, family. Y'all be good. Bye-bye. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret. The Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening, and be safe out there.